Welcome to the KBB Review Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Davis, and this is episode six of season three. We've got a couple of great guests today. First up to mark World Environment Day 2021, which is on June the 5th. We're looking at one of this industry's biggest environmental impacts. It's probably not the one you think. It's actually how much water we use. I'm delving into a scheme designed to tackle that very issue, and that's the Unified Water Label. And I'm talking it through with its managing director, Yvonne Orgill. In particular, we're looking at why it's important for retailers to understand and get behind the scheme as their business might depend on it. Then we're asking whether we should even be called KBB Review at all. Should we be KBH Review? One high-profile retailer is arguing that the acronym KBB doesn't actually describe the purpose or direction of this industry anymore, and it should actually be KBH, Kitchen, Bathroom and Home. We'll talk it through with Tony Robson from Daytree. But first... Look, you know the drill by now. If you enjoy this show, then I promise you that the best way to listen is via a podcast app such as Apple Podcasts. All you have to do is search KBB Review, or one word, and we shall appear. And when we do, you can see all the previous episodes, which are around 70 of them so far, and then subscribe to make sure new ones appear automatically. Using the app on your phone means you can listen wherever you are and whatever you're doing, and of course, it's all totally free. Okay, as I said at the top of the show, it's World Environment Day on June the 5th, which is the United Nations official day to look at sustainability. So to mark that, we're going to look at one of the areas where this industry can have a major impact and influence, and that's how much water we use and how much water we waste in our everyday lives. So believe it or not, the UK is a real pioneer in this area. So let's meet one of the architects of that. It is Yvonne Orgill, who is the MD of the Unified Water Label Association. It's been around for a good while now, but I do think it's important to really go back and explain what it is and how it's got to where it is, because I suspect there's still plenty of people out there who don't really know the full outcome and the full scope of it, the full story of it. So give, give us a quick overview of what the label is and how it works. In the very beginning, the label was actually called WEPL's Water Efficient Product Labeling Scheme, a real long mouthful. And in the end, we decided to simplify it and call it the water label. Then it became the European water label so that the Europeans felt as if they were part of the story. Now, the label has evolved over time. There are 14 categories. But the most important factor is that the label is easy to understand. It is simple and it now embraces the energy. So anything related to hot water, taps and showers primarily, now has an energy aspect to it. The driver for the label is government's goal of reducing carbon emissions. It's as simple as that. Whether we like it or not, Andrew, water efficiency is now up on the political agenda and we have the tools. So let's make use of them. I mean, I guess the equivalent that people would, would understand is the, the energy label that goes on appliances. That is the nearest possible uh, equivalent to this, isn't it? It is, very much so. And we did take an influence from the energy label. However, when you have a product that's got a plug on the end of it and it works, you're not bothered about the, the criteria that sits behind it as long as you know that A-rated is better than uh, the D-rated product. And that's great for the consumer. However, water using products, you start to reduce the element of what makes that product more uh, special, then then you have to make sure that all the other things work with it. So it's not as simple as the energy label, but the label itself reflects the energy label. Can you give us an idea of, or go into a little bit more detail of 
if you like, the politics that have got to this point. Because, like I say, you came up with the energy label idea as part of the, when you were running the Bathroom Manufacturers Association, but now it's a European-wide thing. So just give us an idea of how difficult it's been to get from, if you like, this, this sort of little local scheme into a big European-wide thing. It's been a huge challenge. It really has. One, you've got to convince the uh, manufacturers that this is the best thing, that they take ownership, that they lead from the front, which isn't good for industries, you know. Industries have never been one for leading from the front. They do as they're told by the politicians. However, there was sufficient support from the major brands around Europe and in the UK as well um, that, that drove it forward. So industry got behind it from the manufacturer's viewpoint. Now we have to convince retailers and merchants and then the installers that this is a good thing as well. And the for me, the main aspect here is you are taking ownership of your destiny. We can allow the politicians and environmentalists to really hammer home that water efficiency, you can have no more than. But really, is that what we want? Surely we want to open up innovation, technology, advancements, but at the same time, take the corporate social responsibility of educating the consumer to buy the right thing. Now, the label also tries to influence the retailers out of their comfort zone that water efficiency products are rubbish. Now, technology has moved on such a lot in the last five to 10 years that the products of today are not rubbish at all. And I'm seeking or begging retailers to start opening their minds to water efficiency, because if we don't, we're allowing politicians to dictate. And that's not good for our industry, certainly not in my belief. No, and that was always the story when it first started, you know, this idea of heading it off at the pass a bit, because you you, know, you, you quite rightly could see what was coming down the, the hill towards us, particularly a lot of the legislation that was surrounding the construction and building industry, obviously, that that, that was where the legislative checklist that the suppliers had to go down in order to supply some of these big projects was happening, and you, you, you obviously saw that coming. I don't think you should underestimate the influence you've had here, Yvonne, because there were several water labels around Europe, but this has ended up coming the dominant one because of the commitment and the, the energy you've put behind it. There were five. There were five really proactive labelling schemes around Europe. Portugal had one, Sweden, Switzerland, Germany, and of course, the European water label as it eventually became. And we sat around a table. Unfortunately, Germany got up and walked away, but the other four didn't. The other four could see that, that there was a benefit here of trying to find some common ground. And the unified water label was born out of those discussions. Now, Germany's labelling scheme is not as proactive as it was. Last week, there's 51 products, 13 manufacturers. Now, the unified water label has 160 brands and a database of 13,000 products. So it is the most proactive one, and it's the one that the Commission, European Commission, and the UK government departments, Bayes and DEFRA, look at and, and look at the potential that that labelling scheme has. And they are thrilled that this industry of ours are leading, that they have recognised that they have a massive role to play. And when I say industry, I actually do mean all of us, media, retailers, merchants, distribution, installers, and of course, the manufacturers who have to make the product in the first place. We collectively 
strongly together can influence the government path. Although, right, and I think it's absolutely true, but I suppose the, the, the counter-argument to that is, and this is what retailers would say, is that unless the consumers are walking into the showroom and asking for this stuff, then you know, it's a supply and demand issue, isn't it? There, there might be lots of water-saving products out there, but unless the, unless the consumer's coming in and talking about saving water, then they're, they're not going to have it to sell. So how do you influence the consumer to understand that they're not going to get less of an experience if it's using less water? How do you go about, because that's such a massive task, isn't it? It is a massive task. I mean, there's no getting away from it. We did some research with Trends Monitor way back, what, two to three years ago now, and retailers were saying, we want this information, but the information isn't there. Now, the information is there, but it can be buried a little, and this is where retailers, and in particular independent retailers, can actually take a lead here, because consumers come in, and they need to be explained about water efficiency, because it's not as simple as this tap delivers six, and this tap delivers eight, now you make your choice. It's all about water pressures, are you high pressure, low pressure, are you hard water, soft area, what do you particularly like, what What's your experience from an individual? So it's not just one size fits all. However, the story today, and this is hot off the press from a discussion that we had on Friday with the two uh, government departments, is if we as an industry don't get behind the voluntary initiative, the water label, and start to promote water efficiency and the messaging then we are going to get restrictions on what can be sold. So if you currently sell a tap at six, well, government might decide, no, you can't sell anything above a four. So we've got to wake everybody up and we've got to realise that this is coming down the hill. And this is because there are too many people and not enough supply and demand. It is interesting, isn't it? Because I think there is such a, a tangible acceleration of of interest in all things sustainable from a, from the top of government and down that that you know there's all these news stories coming about about they're not you're not going to be able to buy a gas boiler in, in two or three years time. Uh, clearly, they're phasing out petrol driven cars. Uh, they're only going to they're expanding the electric car charging network, and it's all happening really really quickly. Do you feel as someone who's who sat with this since two thousand and five? Do you feel that that impetus is now there, that there has been a change? And, and has that been driven a little bit by what by the people's experience in the pandemic? Do you think it's perhaps a little bit more socially conscious? I think the pandemic has certainly played a role here, not only because cleanliness, sanitation was one of the key messages out of COVID, but people started to work from home. They weren't in the office. They were at home more. So the, the, the supply and the demand on water was even greater Governments are now looking for the way out of this pandemic and and to plug the big black hole of money that we now have to pay back. And it's not just UK, this is all global uh, countries. The sustainability, circular economy, green issues is the path to come out of that alongside digitalization. They are the two drivers that this industry of ours has to embrace and take forward. Now, It doesn't take a clever so-and-so to realise it's happening in the car industry, it's happening in the boiler industry, 
come on, water, you can live without most things, but you can't live without water. They, they are hell-bent on making water efficiency and the knowledge behind it higher on the agenda of everybody. And to prove that, Andy, IKEA have joined the scheme. Now, there's got to be something in it if a global retailer like IKEA realise the benefits of getting behind the industry voluntary initiative. It's funny, we had um, an episode or so ago, Rob Cole from Sheffield Sustainable Kitchens. He's a, you know, he's a retailer, effectively, who makes kitchens, but he's clearly got sustainability at his heart. And we were talking about the fact that you are getting to a point now where there's a whole generation of people who don't know anything other than environmental issues, sustainability. You know, we're old enough to remember not ever recycling anything. You had shoved everything in the bin and no one even thought about it. But now it's it's just such a part of the zeitgeist, isn't it? It's such a part of everyday conversation that maybe we are getting to a point where the majority of consumers will ask about this when they come and, and purchase things for their home. I think they will. I've got five grandchildren and they are all on the environmental sustainability path and they are more conscious that you don't throw things away. You recycle where you possibly can. But also, I, I'm old enough... <laughs> To remember, we didn't chuck things away when I was a kid. You had to recycle. You know, if if my elder sister had new clothes, I got her second-hand clothes. And it went down, down the chain. And we didn't waste water. You shared a bath. Now, today, that is unaccept- sociably unacceptable. But we've got to start thinking differently. And, and you're so right. Tomorrow's customer are the youth of today and they're on that page and retailers merchants installers need to get onto that page as well otherwise their customers are going to go elsewhere it's a two-pronged thing in it one is about consumer demand a but the other is about sooner or later you're going to get forced to sell this stuff whether you like it or not so you need to become an expert in it now well i think so i think you need to get yourself ahead of the game and gain the competitive advantage if the consumers coming into your retail store and wants the biggest the most then you need to explain to them how much water they're going to use and how much energy that is associated still let the consumer have that choice because i'm a huge believer that retain choice in the marketplace don't let's get rid of it but educate the customer to understand did you know that this shower delivers x but if you want it it's going to cost you y now this other one will give you the performance and the experience that perhaps you're looking for but it doesn't use as much that's all i'm asking retailers is to get behind the label and start educating their customers to make the right choice for them i'm not saying get rid of any products in the marketplace but educate yourself. And what's next for you uh, as an organisation and for the legislation in general? Are there more things coming down the pipe that we should know about? Is the scheme going to expand to globally? I guess that's your ambition. What's next for you? There is a standard, uh, an ISO standard, 31600, not that I'm into standards, (laughs) that that recognises the labelling schemes around around the globe. And the Unified Water Label is one of those recognised schemes. Now, um, DEFRA in the UK is looking at how they can work with the labelling scheme 
to give it more uh, visibility in the marketplace, uh, raise awareness, but also improve market coverage. And the European Commission is looking at the development of a functionality standard within the SEN platform. Now, I know retailers aren't going to be too too interested in that but until that functionality standard has been developed and accepted you they can't move forward so we have a window of opportunity to become leaders of our own destiny here and this is why i'm i'm urging things forward now the unified water label association was formed to host the unified water label, uh, keep it out of the clutches of any one association. It is now independent on its own and has a board of directors and, and I'm the managing director and I shall be taking it as far forward as I possibly can and hopefully keep legislation and regulation at bay. The downside of that is if I don't get the support from the marketplace, then we are going to get regulated. As a shadow of a doubt, we will be regulated. And my big argument with government on that one, because of poor market surveillance on compliant product being allowed in the marketplace and the improved sales of the internet, you can buy any old rubbish on any platform and you're not going to save a drop. So, come on, you, you, we, we could end up here with a tilted playing field. Yes, I mean, that is one of the big focuses that you, you had when you were running the BMA and the BMA still has, is the idea of unregulated products, the idea of products that are not compliant to, to anything, let alone just the, its water use. I mean, do you have any teeth to be able to you know, call people out, to be able to name and shame the, the BMA is in a very difficult position to name and shame. However, the unified water label, if I find there are products on my database that are not as they say they are, then they're kicked off and we can put things out in the marketplace. Oh, go on, give us a name, Yvonne. Oh, that's not fair. That's <laughs> not fair. Some of the ones that I've kicked off are not manufactured or, or within the UK, because don't forget the label is European-wide. So I'm looking with an intentive eye, and I shall be uh, making sure that uh, our credible scheme retains its uh, its mantra as being credible. Well, you know what? If that isn't a Channel 5 Fly on the Wall documentary series, I don't know what is. Yvonne Orgill kicking down doors, taking care of business. <laughs> you know me too well, Andrew. It'd be like Lion of Duty, but with non-compliant toilets. <laughs> I can see it now. Look, Yvonne, thank you so much for your time. I think this is so interesting, and it's such an... Uh, you know, this is clearly a very necessary thing. I've always thought that since you started it, and, it's, and it is a very ambitious thing that's the, the, you know that you've achieved, and it's very impressive. I think there is always that sticking point, isn't there? Of how do you turn something which is a very complicated, very legislation-driven, not a very sexy thing, you know, a, a label, and how do you turn that into a story that consumers and retailers can really grab hold of and see incorporated into their dream projects? And it's such an in, it's such an interesting and difficult. Uh, task that you've got there but you know, you're, you're doing it you keep jumping those hurdles so well done to you uh, and we'll see what happens next yeah watch this space watch this space thanks Yvonne thanks Andrew so a few days ago on social media my next guest posed a very interesting question is it time that we stopped referring to the industry as KBB is it more accurate to call it KBH 
kitchens, bathrooms and home, as that's a much more forward-looking description of what this sector has evolved into. So it's such an interesting debate. I thought I've got to get him on and we'll see if we can get any uh, any further into it. Let's fill in some of the detail here. It's friend of the show. He's been on before. Tony Robson from Day True here in London. Hello, Tony. Welcome back. Hi, Andy. You're well. I'm very well, thank you. Now, first of all, it's been a while since your last appearance. So let's just quickly recap it all. How is business going for you at the moment? Yeah, business is good. It's it's a bit up and down. We're now beginning to just be hit by the the last lockdown. It's a bit lumpy, but certainly the, uh, the future is very, very positive. And, and the sun is shining and the doors are physically open. So we're we're allowing people to come in and wander in and wander around and everything else, which I, you know, I believe true retail should be. And how's your confidence levels looking for you know the next twelve months or so? As a business, I would you know I'd be going ninety percent, whether that's the market or whether that's just you know the plan that we've got in place and uh, the strategy that we've got to drive our business forward. I, I think people are still going to spend money on homes. It's proving difficult to go on holiday still. So I think that holiday spend will hopefully be diverted to their homes still. I think the home has become more important to people anyway. So I think there'll still be a real focus on it. Okay, so you are you're a very forward-looking guy. You're always looking for sort of very conceptual ideas that will push business forward. And one of the things that you've settled on here is the idea that KBB, as, a, as an acronym that is very well established, is something that we should all stop using, that it is too backwards-looking, not forward-looking. So give us the basic premise of your argument. It's really about seeing how the home has developed and COVID has just, there is another nudge in this direction. But I've been saying it's probably been going on for the last 10 to 15 years, really, that there seems to be a blurring of spaces within the home. You know, the kitchen is no longer just a kitchen. A bathroom is no longer just a bathroom. You know, a bedroom is no longer just a bedroom. And there seems to be a real blurring of the spaces there. You know, kitchen, open plan kitchens are are becoming more living spaces. Certainly our business and the way that a lot of people in the industry are moving, it's, it's becoming more of a home. You're having to consider how all of these spaces work together rather than them in their singular parts. So... We've changed, you know, we're, we, we, we're now called Day True Kitchens, Bathroom, Home. And, it, you know, I was just playing around on LinkedIn, I suppose, playing a little bit devil's advocate and asking the question to, to the industry to say, you know, is it time for a change? Is it time to be more forward looking? Well, look, let me be a bit devil's advocate to you, because I don't disagree with the fundamentals of what you're saying there. But I, I think that KBB is very much an internal name. It is something that the industry refers to itself as. It's not something that consumers would know what that necessarily stood for. If you Google KBB, uh, the first thing that always comes up is Kelly's Blue Book, which is an American uh, second-hand <laughs> car handbook. So it's not a name consumers would recognise. So why does that name make a difference, do you think? Why would you want to change it in, in such a fundamental way? I suppose that's my point, Andrew, is um, it is the industry name and the industry has to change. You know, I again, I've been pretty vocal on this show um, and on social media channels about the industry and, and, and how I think that the industry has to advance, has to change. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm really not thinking of this as a, as a consumer focus. I'm, I'm, I'm really challenging the industry again to say maybe the industry should change its name. You know, maybe the industry should be more forward-looking and understanding really what what we're doing. You know, it's 
it's something that's always baffled me, you know, the, you know, the KBB awards, which we've got a few entries into this year, there's never an award for bedrooms. And it's always something that I've questioned. And I just think now, post-COVID, seeing what how the industry is performing following COVID and we, with issues of delivery issues and everything else that we're having at the minute, I just think it's time that the industry moved forward and maybe a slight change of name will, you know, start uh, that process a little bit quicker. So for you then, it's much more of a, I don't know, a mission statement, uh, a statement of intent than it is a frame of reference. Yeah, yeah, very much so. It's very much trying to trying to drive our industry forward. Resetting really and saying, okay, you know, we are gonna we are gonna make a change and that change is gonna start with how we name our industry. And it's only a slight change. You know, I know you came back and said, Well, actually you could just call it home and, and you're dead right. You are you are dead right. I mean the kitchen and bathroom are, are probably the biggest spends within a home. The kitchen and bathrooms are probably the things that add most value to a home and can add most delight within the home. So, you know, I wouldn't say let's take a, a giant step and just call the industry home industry, but certainly kitchen bathroom home, you know, could be the first step. This is a bit more conceptual, I suppose, but does the KBB industry even exist? Now, I've always had this thought that the only place the KBB industry, those three things come together, is actually at the pointy end in your showroom. This industry is, is a combination of lots of different industries all stuck together that come, that come together with you. So there's a sinks and taps industry, there's a worktop industry, there's an appliance industry, and actually they don't really talk to each other or get together until they come into your showroom. So kitchen people don't really know anything about bathrooms and vice versa. So even lumping it together as one industry is a little bit incorrect, don't you think? No, because I think, again, the backward way that our industry works currently is wrong, is intrinsically wrong. Um, collaboration now is more important than it ever has been. You know, bathroom companies, sink tap companies should be talking to kitchen companies, should be talking to bed manufacturers. There should be more collaboration. There should be more of these different parts of the industry working together to to deliver um, not just to their customer, which is me as a retailer, but also to our customer, the end user, which is the most important person in this whole chain, um, to be given a more cohesive a approach to them. And again, you know, by, by changing one letter to KB Home, it is, would that be the first step in us all collaborating a little bit more, in our manufacturers collaborating more for the, for the common good? Even people who, um, you know, even people that could be seen as enemies should should start collaborating if it means beating a bigger enemy or creating a better picture. So, so I think you're right, Andrew. I think the industry is fragmented, but I think that's wrong. I think that's intrinsically wrong, and and this could be again the first step in in starting to put some of that right. Is this all about differentiating between? retailers who provide a service versus retailers who simply sell product in particular of course online uh, mostly that just sell a product that get that turns up on your doorstep and obviously there's guys like you who offer a full service is it about differentiation it certainly is for us you know when we when we change the name to kitchen we we, we, we agonized over should it be kitchen bathroom living should it be but the home, the home is where the heart is. You know, we think home is just a nicer word. So, so when we did it, there was a marketing point for doing it. You know, I'm, I'm happy to admit that. And again, you know, 
it, the way retail's changing, experience retailing and everything else. There are kitchen retailers that just sell kitchens. There are kitchen retailers still, which I find incredible to believe, that they'll, they'll design a kitchen and not advise what the floor finish should be, what won't advise what the paint colour should be, won't try and sell them the stools or the lighting for the space. So I, I'm not just aiming this at um, online retailers because I, I think there's still bricks and mortar retailers out there that, that are very successful. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to tell them how to run their business, but but I do think need to start looking more at the way the world is evolving, the way people's homes are evolving, and need to really evolve with that as well in many ways. And do you think it's also about skill base? I mean, if you're talking about homes, as you say, you talk as much about the lighting and the flooring and every other aspect of something that goes into those spaces, particularly kitchens that, as you say, have such a multi-purpose use. Is this about understanding much more the broad knowledge that anyone working at the consumer end of the business needs to now have that perhaps they didn't need to have 15, 20 years ago? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, again, we're, we're great. I think we're probably probably the only, you know, KBH business that, that only employs train designers. We don't employ second-hand car salespeople and uh, to put them on a two-week CAD course and call them a kitchen bathroom designer. So there's a real integrity there that all of our people are degree trained. You know, I say we've got three showrooms and there's not a salesperson inside. And, you know, the sale is all about making sure that we're doing what's right for the client's home. We start with spatial planning. We start with the space. We don't start with trying to put boxes on walls. So, it, yes, I do think the industry, again, needs to move on. And, and like I say, there's a, there's a certain integrity to say that it's proper design, it's, it's real design, it's not just trying to sell boxes. It's such an interesting conversation, and there's, there's no question that the industry is moving on, and COVID has, has accelerated certain elements of that, and that's that's without question. I mean, I think, but there'll be, there'll be lots of retailers shouting at the at the computer now, saying, "Well, I only employ skilled designers, or I've I've never had a day's training in my life, but I've been doing it for thirty years, and I know how to design kitchens." You know, I've never met anybody who thinks that they're not a fantastic retailer or a fantastic designer. And therefore, uh, it's very hard to change mindsets, isn't it? It's very, it's okay. F- I guess maybe people might think it's a very London-centric kind of interior design kind of approach. But actually, if you're at the coalface, you know, elsewhere in the country, you just want to have have a good business. Don't really worry about it. You sell some nice kitchens a couple of times a week, and you you're doing very well for yourself. It's how much people are prepared to get involved with moving whole industries forward, as opposed to just themselves. Yeah, and you know, listen, the last thing I want to sound is arrogant because I'm, I'm trying not to. You know, I admire anyone that, firstly, I admire anyone that runs their own business because it's the hardest thing in the world. So anyone who runs their own business successfully, uh, the way that they want to do it, you know, I'd give them as much support, help, you know, advice, applause for doing that. Because running a business, particularly in the last few months, years or months, it is, it's really, really, really hard. So, so I'm not knocking anyone, and, and it's each to their own. I'm simply here sitting talking to you today, Andy, talking about how I believe the industry can progress, how, how I believe the industry should be working together, how I believe retailers should be selling in the future. Um, I'm not trying to dictate or tell anyone or say that anyone's doing anything wrong. I'm just giving my opinion on how I think the business should be moving forward. 
Yeah, and, I, and again, but equally, I think there's very few people out there who would disagree with anything that you're saying. It's just very hard to turn around an oil tanker, isn't it? Sometimes. But if you don't, if you don't, if you don't get hold of the wheel and turn it, you're never going to do it, are you? No, absolutely. And it's guys like you that the call for these things and push these things forward that ultimately result in change somewhere down the line. So, look, thank you, Tony. Look, I think, as I say, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a really interesting debate to have. Yeah, we're not going to change anything today, are we? But I think it's certainly a point of view that lots of people will, will chime with. And, you know, we can only see what might happen further down the line. But but thank you. Thank you for, for raising it. No, no problem. I'm always happy to come on here and, uh, and chew the fat. So anytime. Cheers, Tony. Great. That's it. Episode six of season three is done and dusted. Huge thanks to Yvonne and Tony. And you can find all the related links about them in the episode description. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us in your podcast app as it really encourages others to give us a try. See you next time.